Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Good morning. If you are, um, if you have hold of a Chumash, a red Bible, the Chumash, the Eitz Chaim, we are and can be found on page 379. The morning's reading is on page 379. Parshat Bo brings us literally all the way to the, the edge of the Sea of Reeds. This week will conclude the saga of the Exodus. Although next week will be the, really the end, this is the week that brings us to the culmination of the ten horrible plagues, the Aser Makot. There are three of them aligning with the numerical value of the word Bo. Bet Aleph, three. So three plagues. And we are going to pick up with the third and final of the three and the tenth and final of the ten with what is known as Makat Bechorot. That's the lovely reading that we have for this morning. The easy reading to render what probably doesn't bother anybody here, the slaying of the firstborn child. That's the difficult task that we have every year. Not just the, the morality of the ten plagues, but specifically this last one in its, in its terrible consequences, in the tenor of it, in the profound legacy that it has left, and also the trouble for moderns in reading it. So we pick up in the Parsha, chapter 11, verse 4. Chapter 11, verse 4. Vayomer Moshe, and Moshe said, Ko Adunai. Thus says, or sort of says Adunai. Kachatzot halayla, uh, at around midnight, Ani God says, I will go out. This is a kind of Yitziat Mitzrayim, but inside of Mitzrayim. God will go out, as it were. God will be found present amongst Mitzrayim, in Mitzrayim. Umes, and will die. And will die. Death will come. Passive to all of the firstborn children in, in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, Ad Bechor Hashivcha, until the firstborn of the maidservant Asher Achar Rechaim, that is behind the, what's the Rechaim here, I guess, the millstone. Bechor Bechor Beima, even the firstborn of the animals. What did they do? Okay. There will be a great scream in the land of Egypt, the likes of which had never been before, and the likes of which will never again happen. You can stop there. There's more to read. The language that Moses uses is troubling for the rabbis. Of course, if you put aside the morality of the moment just for 
a second, imagine that for the ancients, the notion of tit-for-tat or some kind of karmic retribution, right? The firstborn children of the Israelites were killed, and so that the God of, of our antiquity, the ancient God, would also enact that kind of, exact that kind of punishment from our enemies. Might not have sat that badly with the ancients. It was, of course, the last resort after ten or nine other plagues. Apparently, this pharaoh can't hear anything but something that extreme. But the rabbis pick up first and foremost, in the language of ko, the language in which Moses is giving forth the prophecy, the language of ko, where he says, thus says God, it grabs the rabbis. The rabbis are troubled by this word ko, because in other places in the Mosaic prophecy, when Moses would speak to the people, he wouldn't say ko amar Adonai, especially at Mount Sinai, he said zeh, this is what God says. And the difference between ko and Zeh said the rabbis, the difference between seeing something clearly and seeing something that isn't clear. The mosaic distinction, as it were, between the prophets and Moses, what made Moses a greater prophet, say the rabbis, was kol ha-nevi'im nisnabu b'ko. Every other prophet would say, ko amar donai. God says this, and it has a quality of sort of. Right? The English translation of thus actually denudes it of the, of the power the rabbis are trying to invest in it, saying, I'm saying this kind of. I don't see it exactly. It's as if I'm seeing it through a mirror dimly. Right? I'm looking through this looking glass, but I don't see I don't really see it exactly because the prophets were not as, as powerfully witnessing God's word, as it were. And so how amazing it is that here in this moment, Moses seems to run counter to that rabbinic assertion. Moses comes along and says, not this is what God says, zeh, but rather what? Ko. As if now to double down on that, the haziness of his vision or on the exact or on the ambiguity of his vision, then he says, ka chatzot laila. Right, so in our Kabbalistic Learning Institute in Kli, we were studying the letters this week, and we came to the letter Chaf, the kind of C, the backward C. And when that C appears before, that Kaf, that letter appears before a word, it invests that word with, were any, any students here from Kabbalah? Or Hebrew? It makes it? Sort of like, it's got a similitude, it's sort of like this. We, we spoke about the great Hasidic Torah, that God's Ani at Mount Sinai got a chaf and it became Anochi. And said the Ishbitzer as if to tell us that I can't give you all that I have. I have to, right, there's a lot of God that we will never get. And it's Anochi, it's the Ani with a chaf added to it means sort of like God you saw. You didn't have perfect vision, right? Religious humility is absolutely radically important. So here, kachatzot laila, sort of at midnight. It leads the rabbis of the Talmud to say, why would, Mo what do you mean kachatzot laila, around midnight? Doesn't God know when God's coming? Was Moses kind of hedging his bets? That's what the rabbis say, just in case. Just in case the Egyptian magicians also move things around. They said, we also can, kachatzot laila. It leads the rabbis even to a moral intuition about Moses saying, Moses taught himself, a person should always say, I'm not exactly sure. Right? God said, you know, I don't know exactly when God's coming, so I'll just give you a ballpark figure. You should always give yourself 
and out to say, I don't know. It's amazing that on this makkah, that this makkah, this plague, has a Moses that isn't sure, speaking for an unsure God. When Moses comes to tell the people about this final plague with all of its drama, with all of its pain, there is the intensity of hesitation. Of is this really the right path to go down? Is this really what I want to do? God almost seems to be saying, Moses seems to be saying, there seems to be Moses refusing some of the telephone. Either he heard it directly and then decided to soften it. You can almost hear Moses going, Almost like a modern reading, going like, oh, I don't, I, don't send me to tell them this. This first reading of Makkah Bechorot speaks to it speaks to the power that each and every one of us has and should employ to, to rest in a certain uncertainty that is absolutely radically important. There is an uncertainty and a moral ambiguity that sometimes leads us to make what is black and white into gray. There is a moral ambiguity that sometimes has us hedging our bets on certain stances that we take. I know that in my own life there was... Um, a religious figure who I was very involved with at one point, who in my mind represents a very clear black and white between right and wrong. But as Rabbi Art spoke about this morning at the beautiful open book, Parshat Bo begins in the Hasidic reading of the Torah. The Hasidim read Bo El Paro as God's invitation to walk into Pharaoh's home and to say, I'm here, so come here. Even in the heart of Pharaoh, there is a divine spark. And religious certainty and the pathway of certainty is one of the hallmarks of ignorance in this, in this period that we're in. People who have absolute radical certainty about individuals, about who's right and who's wrong. And the beauty of this text is that we have here something that for generations might have been absolutely radically clear. Sure, we deserve to take the Bechor. Of course, God is ultimately morally correct. And yet, even in this moment, Moses models a sense of, I'm not absolutely sure, not just about the time, but even the path. That there's a, a quality of not knowing that makes Moses a great leader. That great leaders are able to say, they teach themselves to say, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It might be the hallmark of this is my teacher, that when you ask them a question, they say, you know, let me get back to you on that. I got to check. Parents with children, institutions, and certainly men especially in power. But it cuts across every place. My dear friend, Rabbi James Jacobson Mizels, who's an amazing teacher of contemplation and meditation in Israel and also um, will be a part of Romamu and also has taught for Romamu. He was here a year ago and he said, you know, people ask me, where is the ego? How do I see the ego? He said, let me, let me give you a really good example. You know that moment, he said, when you're in the middle of an argument with somebody and they've made a point and they're absolutely right, 
And on the inside, you go, you know, that's really good. And you know they beat you. And you still keep fighting for the next 15 minutes. That's ego, he said. That's your ego. Afraid to admit, afraid to say, I made a mistake. Afraid to say, I don't know. If the God of the universe says, you have to slaughter the firstborns, and you say, sure, no problem. But the text says, Moses was still struggling. That can't be what God wanted. Like the Akedah in certain Hasidic readings with Abraham, not sure if that exactly was what God wanted. As the Zohar says, you know, Elohim, God came to Abraham in an unclear vision. Here God comes to Moses, and maybe Moses himself says, that can't be. I can't receive that instruction. And that moment of hesitation is recorded for posterity, written into our text as the, stum the stumbling of kakachatzot, kakachatzot. So I wanted to call forth this morning the, the quality in us that rests in the humility of I'm not sure. That we make I'm not sure into a spiritual practice. There are many things about which we should say I am absolutely sure. Many of us will be marching today to say we are absolutely sure that there are things that have to change in this country and dangerous things at that that must change. But there's also simultaneously a quality of maybe God is in this place. And as Rev. Art said, I need to see it clearly. And only not knowing can bring us through the doorway to saying, oh, wow, I learned something. Great are the students and teachers who are continuously learning, the students of the wise, the wise men and women in our tradition were always called students because they continued to learn. They continued to teach themselves to say, So I'd like to call forward for anyone this morning who is challenged by this teaching, who is challenged to say, I don't know, challenged to look like I don't have the answers to please come forward to stand this morning with Torah and to stand with Moses and to stand with that possibility of injecting into the certainties that lead to horrible things, some elements, some modicum of, I don't know, you know, let me rethink this and reconstruct it and renew it for the first Aliyah. <laughs>